Welcome to the 10th season of Delving Into Dance. In this season, the Australian Youth Dance Festival Youth Ambassadors take over the interviews to explore youth dance practice, taking place both in Australia and further afield. You will hear interviews from Dan Riley McKinley, Anna Kenrick, Adam Rutherford, Adam Wheeler, Apana Nagish and Katie McCarthy. Each interview stretches a different aspect of youth dance practice, present against the backdrop of the Australian Youth Dance Festival taking place in Melbourne in July. This season has been produced in partnership with Ausdance Victoria and Delving Into Dance, with the aim of expanding the conversation of youth dance practice, recognising the central role that youth dance has in a healthy dance ecology. This interview is with Aparna Nagish and Ayan Poroshka Voile. The highlights for me in this interview are Aparna's generosity and deep enthusiasm for life and for dance and for working with young people and sharing her vast and diverse experience of dance. She is cheeky and honest and deeply engaging. And I started by asking, where did dance begin for you? Okay, that's interesting because, see, I actually, by most standards, I started dancing late. It was only when I was 15 that I started dancing, like, you know, learning and performing professionally. Um, But I think what happened for me was, see, in in India, at least in South India, in Chennai, um, there's a huge, I live in the city that's the birthplace of Bharatanatyam, which is, you know, one of the Indian dance forms, right? Um, yes. Classical Indian dance forms. And yeah. I come from a family that's very musical. So we were, we all had the, you, most families, you know, you do your typical classical Indian music training or you do an instrument like the violin or the, you know, a percussion, percussive instrument or, you know, or you go for Bharatanatyam classes. And so my family was quite musical. Everybody's done their you know, five, six years of Carnatic music. So I was doing that. My sister was doing the violin. But um, somehow I think, and nobody in my family dances, actually. Everybody's got a great sense of music and rhythm. But um, I lost my father when I was very young. But my mom keeps saying how I very like him. And he was the one person who you actually used to dance. And he enjoyed, um, like, so I always say this is because he loved ABBA. And my mom listened to a lot of ABBA when she was pregnant with me. So I love ABBA. Like, I'm crazy about ABBA. (laughs) So I always say that's probably because of that, that I've always been uh, inclined towards, like, you know, um, the more Western forms of music and dance, always. Uh, Which is not to say I didn't want to do Indian forms, but... There was always something in me, like, you know, I used to watch... I I was very enthusiastic about gymnastics as a child. uh, But considering my mom was a single parent and there weren't that many opportunities in the 90s here in Chennai, you know, even like for classes and things like that. Uh, I mean, I come from the generation that saw the transition from cassette tapes to CDs to, you know, uh, yeah. you know P3 players and then everything, like, especially in India, everything happens about a decade later, right? At least before it was like that. So mm-hmm. even cable TV came in when I was in my teenage years. So, so it I didn't have a cell phone till I was in college. So it was like, um, there was a, there was an instinct to dance always. I was crazy about dancing, but, um, never really, I tried asking my mom if I should join for, you know, join a classical dance class, but she was like, you know what, you're doing one thing, you're doing music, do it properly. And, you know, focus on that and academics. And I was also a sports person. I was an athlete. So she said, you have too many things on your plate already. Just do these three things. Like, you know, you won't have time for anything else. Um, so I said, okay, fine. 
but then I did go for one class secretly without her knowing. Uh, <laughs> because they had like a sample class with this Bharatanatyam dancer in school. And I went for that class after uh, after school hours. And then I came home and told her. And I remember she was so mad at me. She was like, you should have asked my permission. And all. this was when I was 11 or 12. So then I just, I kind of left it. But then, so we used to have this two hours of English music on FM over here on All India Radio at that time before private radio channels came in every evening from 7 to 9. So I would run home, finish all my homework, finish my playing, make sure and I shared a room with my sister, right? I would kick her out of the room for that two hours, lock the door, clear a space <laughs> near the bed and just be dancing. And I think that's really where my inclination towards anything, any Western form of dance happened. It was just me like freestyling and listening to like old school music, even rock music. And I'm just like dancing and I was having fun. And then I started like, we used to have these, um, we lived in an apartment building where there, there used to be these celebrations that used to happen for, you know, festivals and Christmas and New Year mm -hmm. and all of that. So I ended up like getting all little people that I used to play with together and I would pick favorite songs and do choreographies and things like that. I yeah. think it was kind of set then but I didn't really realize it and I put and when I was about 15 I, I finished my 10th grade exams and before right before going into my 11th grade I mean uh, the holiday summer holidays I bugged my mom and there was this um, cropping up of western dance schools in, in Chennai at that time and it wow. was not too much of technique it was more like freestyle and like the 90s hip-hop movement and you know um, but nothing very technical at that point of time some amount of jazz was also there mm -hmm. so I started that way I, st I joined a professional dance company as in I joined for classes and then you know the teacher he was like would you like to perform I was like yeah put me on a stage <laughs> like I'm ready for this you know I mean we're all we're all that's why that's one of the one of the reasons why I dance also, I know that and I'm very, um, I acknowledge that very openly that I need the stage, I need to be able to perform uh, mm. because it gives me a high like nothing else does. Uh, yeah. Even now, even after, and it's 21 years of professional dance for me with this summer actually. May 22nd is my dance anniversary and I celebrate it like, for me it's very important. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, so 21 years of professional dance. So wow. um, I, yeah, so I started performing and then there was just no looking back. And then what happened was as the school began to grow, I grew with, I kind of laid the foundation with the school and kind of uh, helped build it. Um, we had a lot of teachers coming in from around the world. So I've done like bits of everything. There was a lot of, um, so my training has been quite, you know, like piecemeal from all over the place. Yeah, there was no yeah. like, Oh, 15 years of ballet with this school and 17 years of jazz with this it's not been like that it's been a very uh, sporadic very piecemeal kind of training uh, but I think I I'm, I'm I don't have any regrets about that because I feel like I look at dance a little less rigidly I think maybe and it's just it's a, it's a lot more vast for me and I'm hungry to learn always so that happened and then I think for me one landmark thing that happened was um, about midway through after about five six years into my professional career I through college you know I did my degree but I was still dancing professionally and everything mm. and uh, had the opportunity to meet Debbie Allen um, she came down she had come down as part of the US consulates um, some cultural connect thing she yeah. came down with two teachers and 
and I had always had this dream of going to New York and learning dance, yeah. and, you know. So that kind of she kind of put that thing in my head, you know. And she was so she was such an amazing teacher, and I I started teaching also very early on because that's how they, it's a very unstructured industry here. So mm-hmm. we're trying. There are people like us who are trying to kind of set some kind of precedence and create. Mm-hmm. I think create like a sustainable. Um, ecosystem for dance mm-hmm. here so um yeah so after that is when i kind of after 12 years i went to new york um it but it took me 12 years of you know dancing with the company to save up and kind of mm-hmm. get my shit together <laughs> and then <laughs> I, I went to yeah i went to broadway dance center yeah yeah so that's that but that's the origin story like i started only at 15 but i was dancing long before that in my bedroom yeah <laughs> listening to two hours of english music every evening <laughs> yeah. and then i mean through my training i've had the opportunity to learn various um, not completely but at least learn the nuances or be exposed to various indian forms as well um, not just classical but also folk forms and mm. martial art forms and things like that and i feel like it's given me this world view of how to like really which is why i call my vocabulary global dance fusion because it's mm. it's really global kind of a mix of everything <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah wow that's very very exciting and it sounds and you spoke about like dance being a very you know vast and this very expansive kind of interrelated entity and it doesn't exist in a vacuum and we and we don't make art and we don't relate to ourselves and other people in a vacuum and so I think how did you find when you were at I suppose like training and in a company did you find that there was like uh, a push for a certain focus or was or did you and did they did you find they were trying to make you quite a singular dancer or did you kind of did they encourage that expansiveness that you talk about Okay so uh, like i mentioned it's still quite unstructured and it's still quite young here at least modern dance and contemporary forms mm-hmm. um, which are not based in indian origins right so yeah, that, yeah like i said the whole western dance school kind of a thing um, mm-hmm. so it, it was also a question of the company finding its own footing so i kind of grew along with the company um, mm-hmm. because so there was there was i think that was also the reason towards the end like i think towards the last two years i was with the company for about 12 years and towards the last two years there was a sense of uh, kind of um i i don't know if i want to use the word disillusionment but there was a kind of sense of being jaded um my equation with dance has always been like that of either a spouse or a partner mm. or it's it's the one great love of my life Right? Yeah. So, and I mean, as as trite as and as cliche as that sounds, mm-hmm. it really has. I've had my share of arguments with it. Um, <laughs> I've stepped away from it. I've hated it. I've loved it. It's it's really it's like this passionate love affair, right? Yeah. You can't. Uh, it's hard. I mean, I know that. I mean, being a dancer, you probably understand what I'm saying. But yeah. it's only other people, other dancers, and maybe other people who've who've been so passionate about something in their life who understand this this logic like i mean honestly on a very on a massive sidebar i haven't dated in like 9 years and i'm and that's a it's a huge 
off the cuff thing here that to be 36 and unmarried in india <laughs> like it's a, yeah, yeah. yeah it's a huge thing um but luckily for me my family my mom is just like you know whatever i i yeah. you are an adult i'm not gonna but it's not that way with most indian families right so mm. um I, for me it's been like this has occupied all my life all my space all my mind space mm. my energy my mental physical emotional energy completely so mm. that expansiveness for me only grew after i was able to um i think step away from working under somebody and discover for myself what i wanted to do with dance right so because being a commercial company there's always that restriction of oh we have these performance and it was too much too much of performance and less of training one uh, two it, there was no balance between performance teaching creating learning right it's four very yeah. separate things and you have to be different people when you're doing each thing and mm-hmm. somebody who's a great creator may not be a great teacher of it i don't know sometimes i feel like the two are interrelated but sometimes i see people who are so eccentric and create such amazing things but they are like the really the most uncomfortable people to work with because you just <laughs> you just don't know how to you know get their vision across so for me one thing that was important was my mother's a retired school teacher right so mm-hmm. i think teaching kind of runs in the family so i kind of i realized that it's something that i really enjoy i enjoy seeing that like bulb going on in above somebody's head um yeah. so i've connect always connected a lot of um how am i going to be able to use this why am i learning it Mm. um how can i bring myself into this and it's it's taken me this long to kind of get to that place but yeah expansiveness is i think it's it's something you have to discover for yourself mm. and i also think that 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 whole movement of discovering yourself through dance i feel like at least here it's fairly new it's only now it's only happening now you know mm. it's a very current movement so yeah there was a sense of restriction there was a sense of i love it i love slapping on the paint and getting on stage but <laughs> i think after some time it can't be only about that you know mm. i i realized that balance was i had to step away like for and i do it regularly even this month mm. um i do it now regularly i say okay i'm not going to dance for a bit i'm mm-hmm. going to do other things for like say a month uh, okay this may is like a holiday season so everybody's the company dancers are all off we don't have classes i just had one off projects here and there and this mm. whole community project so it's not like i've not danced at all but there's a sense of distance you know i'm able to give myself that breathing room so i can come back to it fresh mm. and it's the same as with any relationship i think you have to give it that space and breathing room and you don't have to be like oh i'm so passionate about this so i have to be in this like 24/7 you know that yeah. balance for me came a little bit later um mm. yeah i mean growth was always there i mean I, i'm always grateful to the fact that i got to meet people like debbie allen and the people who work with her i got to travel to the states on a culture connect program i got to see the world i got to perform with so many noted artists uh, well uh, commercial artists but you know singers and uh, actors and actresses and the kind of experience that performing professionally for over 12 years with the company has given me is i like i can't measure it it's it's definitely given me the kind of um resources and strength that i need personally to be able to do my own thing you know so mm. yeah uh, but like i said 
the expansiveness i think it's a it's a it's a process of self discovery <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. talking um, as you uh, as you just said about having that space for things to kind of settle and i think one thing as like a young dancer and starting dance from a young age and similarly to what you said about it just coming from this need to move and then going into yes. something that's a bit more structured and having all of this information given to you and it can be quite overwhelming and you're kind of given what yeah. yeah and so having as you said that space to kind of digest it is really important and it also and so that's why yeah having breaks and things as you said is really healthy and i think sometimes particularly where what the way i've grown up with dance as a relationship we're kind of given that narrative of you have to do more to be better and so, and like you know you constantly have to be doing it to to be engaged and so i find yeah it's it's really interesting to hear you talk about like that space and that time to kind of cultivate your own sense of how things should be rather than yeah constantly i think i think that whole thing of repeatedly doing it and you know constant practice that has to be at the start of yeah right and then as you grow with it you need to discover like see even with the young dancers who work with me for the company like when i'm planning the years training schedule i figure it out as i have these other master classes or you know we do like one class of just free movement or experience yeah. work and i have a lot of inner work that's uh, integrated with my creation uh, classes as well so mm-hmm. it's not just always about you know technical training and practice and i always tell the dancers i said look we meet thrice a week um mm-hmm. don't depend on me to get your pirouettes better or get you to do the split if that's mm-hmm. something you have to work on yourself i will mm-hmm. teach you i will teach you how to do it we will practice it but there's only so much because as a company also there's so much more that we have to explore in mm-hmm. terms of what we can create together so the technical stuff and it's it doesn't work like there where the company is formed with dancers who are already pre-trained sometimes mm-hmm. they come in with just the most basic yeah i've danced in like family functions and college culturals and things like that <laughs> so here you i need to because i have a very specific vocabulary or rather i have a system i try not to be too rigid with it but i have a system or a path that i follow i kind of have to bring them into that path to see mm. the kind of work that we create we try to kind of sometimes we say okay you know what today let's just let's all go to the beach and practice um oh. let's practice cart wheels on the beach um so we i'm trying to kind of balance it out for them so that okay. there is no thing of oh my god i have to maybe today we decide that we are going to do an inner work exercise and explore movement and not really do something structured yeah you know um maybe today we are going to do a group i do i gamify a lot of movement activities and exercises so that you know they also have that little bit of that space inside the head to approach it differently and Mm-hmm. I've realized that that's one thing that for me is working here I get a lot of people who after learning here say that you know what is very different from the experience I've had in any other studio or with any other class because there's a there's a sense of freedom of how I can allow my body to find what it can do right mm-hmm. and uh, that's that's pretty much been my area of focus over the last couple of years even in terms of creation i think um and there's another thing uh, i also write a blog 
for a friend's website. So um, mm-hmm. I, in fact, I just written my last to last week's column was about practice and how mm-hmm. uh, you know you always grow up hearing this practice makes perfect, right? Mm-hmm. But I always think mm-hmm. that uh, what I have learned is that you could practice something 30 times and still not be great at it, but you can practice something 10 times, but super efficiently, like asking yourself the questions of how, what, why, when, where, with whom, right? Yes. You ask yourself yes. The, yes. the elements of movement, you ask yourself the questions, and then every time you do it, even if you're just doing it five times, if you've answered the questions and you do it, mm-hmm. you're going to be that much better at it than just repeating it mindlessly for 20 times, right? Yes. It's like what learning versus processed learning, you know? <laughs> Um, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's just like, you know, you, yeah, let's memorize the multiplication tables. But like, if you don't understand why this much into this much equals this much, then like, mm-hmm. or how, mm-hmm. you know, seeing the pathway of how this number multiplied by this number leads to this number. Unless you see the path, you're never going to mm-hmm. remember it, right? Yeah, so yeah. I think, I think it's just a question of how you learn. And I, I also realized that a lot of teachers fail to do that, not just in dance, even in academics, mm-hmm. there is a problem with, first you teach your child how to learn. You teach mm-hmm. the child or the person how to learn. Once you know that, then it becomes easy to learn. Mm. And each person has their own method, speed, you know, technique of learning, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, the education system doesn't allow for that. It's yes. always systematized and standardized. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is why we, we are we are also working with schools now and we really like the schools that follow the IB curriculum, the International yeah. Baccalaureate. So they work on the process of unit of enquiry as opposed to chapters, you know. Yeah, so yeah. if the unit of enquiry is about man and animal, men and animals, then they do math, chemistry, drama, movement, uh, you know, ev- language, everything around that unit. Mm. So I find that system really great. So we're also, I'm also working on developing syllabuses for the schools we work with in that manner. But yeah, I think, like I said, it's not necessarily about how many times you do it. It's about also how you do it that many times. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I think you've touched on a really important point that which I'm experiencing at the moment in my training and, and which is one thing that my teacher always says to me when we're in class, it's about engaging with the moment and allowing an experience to unfold rather than kind of trying to conform your body to a particular memory of something or trying to create this this sense of perfection that obviously you know doesn't exist and we all know that but we're always kind of trying to reach for it even though we know it's unobtainable and so you saying that the how and the journey and that experience of being curious rather than trying to kind of master it or trying to kind of grip it, I think. And so I think that's really great. Really hard to do it now because of the influx of, um, you know, media around us. And you see all these people who are so like, who probably um, really, really, really work their asses off. Mm. And you can see it. I mean, kids as little as, say, eight or nine with legs that go up to here and, Mm. you know, and it can be debilitating sometimes, mm. um, say, even for somebody like me uh, to see something like that and be like, it's just, it's, it was, it was literally just a lack of opportunity that, you know, 
I am not at a place. Maybe if I had had that when I was ten, I would be somewhere. And then I was like, no, don't do that. You can't mm-hmm. sit and everybody's journey is so different, and you sit and compare yourself. And it it is hard for me also when I am trying to explain to young people that you know you have to find that balance. You mm-hmm. have to let yourself go at your own pace because everybody is like. No, but you see the videos that are coming out. You see the people that are doing all these crazy things. And I'm like, yeah, but <laughs> you also have to understand that sometimes that could be just the opportunities that they had. Maybe even somebody who had zero opportunities but clawed their way out there. Mm. Well, that was written for them, you know. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a strong, uh, you know, uh, uh, promoter of hard work. I always say that you have to work hard, and I think that kind of mm. it really translates into what reaps in your life but i also feel like you also need to know how to do smart work like you have yes. to be able to combine the two i'm not saying sit sit on a chair somewhere and get 10 people to do it for you that that's not necessarily always smart work sometimes especially with things in with dance you have to do it obviously you know mm-hmm. 10 people practice for you your legs are not going to be able to do what they can do so mm-hmm. it's i mean as simplistic as that sounds you have to get up and get there on that floor and do what you need to do mm-hmm. but at the same time you also need to be like smart about it you need to and you need to like it's very hard for me because i'm this is a constant battle i'm facing especially with young people because mm-hmm. they see people around them going viral with like a really really average performance you know and it's average for me but maybe for somebody else it's oh my god and for somebody mm-hmm. else it's like no it's re- that was really shit you know <laughs> you never know but but the point is that everybody's constantly comparing themselves right and they're mm-hmm. all trying to find this one benchmark to get to and i'm like you can't do that like it's everybody's so different your background your history the steps you've taken to be where you are today everything is so different right like mm-hmm. so that, yeah this is a constant battle though it's a yeah. yeah it's a battle because we are very clearly um off away from that spectrum of yeah we're going to create content to get generate likes you know that's mm. not where i'm coming from no absolutely that's where a lot of people lot of young dancers today are coming from and it's becoming and it's also becoming very competitive and political and problematic mm-hmm. i mean i had a conversation mm-hmm. with alice about this when we discussed initially for the festival and she was talking oh, yes. about that yeah she she was talking about how that was one of the main reasons doing the festival you know to take it away from a non competitive i mean to take it into a non competitive like let's all grow together and learn together mm-hmm. kind of a space you know mm-hmm. i think that's much more important today than winning prizes absolutely where you kind of have this poem and you have the, your dancers from your ensemble yes. behind you and it was very very sweet and you talked about and as you've spoken just now about dance kind of being this destiny and dance you choosing dance and i suppose choosing you and i suppose i'm i'm curious and i we all experience it as dancers but what does what are the moments what do what do the moments feel like when dance kind of doesn't choose you back or whether you kind of choose to not <laughs> yeah what are they because we all talk about like the 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 poignant moments and i suppose like you know the moments that are very quiet and they're very like but they're also very monumental in their own right but yeah what what are those moments like where you're like oh dance really doesn't like me right now or yeah i mean i have those 
very very regularly um, <laughs> and uh, and especially as you get older and your body refuses to cooperate <laughs> you know you do it, it it is a sense of like what the hell i mean i've given so many years of my life to you and like you're supposed <laughs> to like me back you're supposed yes. to love me back and yeah. like i said i always treat it like i would a relationship and it's the same it's the same logic um one and it, this was a very hard thing for me to accept and it happened around the time that i moved to new york to study right and i had a lot of after many years of a lot of noise and chatter both inside and outside constantly mm-hmm. i had the scope to be by myself with myself um and really examine who i was and and it it really only started between then and now like between the ages of 27 when i was in new york to now like 36 it's almost 10 years mm-hmm. it's it it's been such a period of self actualization and internal growth right mm-hmm. um and yeah there are those moments where you just you just like screw this i don't want to do this anymore, <laughs> you know yeah. and then you you really think about do i really want to quit this or do i really want to but i think that um it's sort of like an amoeba right and you have to be you have to be it's like you're you're inside this amoeba like shape and you have to kind of constantly keep moving to accommodate the new shapes that it takes and mm. so for me now so once the company set up once i set up high kicks in 2011 and then between then to now yeah i get my moments to perform i get my moments on stage mm. but it has been a, a lot less performance a lot more creating and teaching mm. um uh syllabus setting and i last year i actually i decided you, you know what i'm going to get back so i've always loved acting as well mm. um but it's something that i pretty much kind of i didn't shelve it completely because since we do dance theater it's easy to kind of incorporate that stuff mm. but i also wanted to act like i've done plays when i was in college and last year i made a choice and i got back on stage just to act you know mm. no movement in fact one of the pieces one of the plays which is a monologue piece the director was like see everybody's always seen you moving i want you to be completely still sitting on the chair like mm-hmm. you don't move anything other than your hands mm-hmm. just to and it really helped me to kind of uh, reevaluate but yeah like to, uh, i mean i'm digressing to come back to what you said <laughs> um it happens sorry <laughs> to come back to what you said it's I think it's just a question of uh learning to sit in that moment kind of deal with it like it happened when I right before I went to New York I'd applied for the course and everything and then I took a step back from the company and I had about 2 weeks of free time and I was like I'm so tired I'm so tired all the time because I had been performing non-stop and I was like do I really want to do this you know and then I went to New York and yeah here I am 27 I was not the oldest in my group of the isvp students there were um a couple of other older people but they were they were they're all been doing ballet since they were three and you know yeah. hello uh, yeah sorry you you yeah, got yeah. stuck for a minute so yeah. you know um i was just the first two weeks i felt like shit about myself like i was like yeah. i've been dancing for 12 years i feel like i don't know anything i feel mm-hmm. like i can't do anything so that was a moment that was really like it was a massive reality check and then i said you know what again that was one of the points at which i had to tell myself that your journey has been different 
the things that you know are different from what they know don't think that just because they know something that you don't doesn't mean you don't know anything right mm-hmm. and it was it was a really hard time for me that one the third week of my course was i was almost ready to pack it in and be like mm-hmm. you know what i'm <laughs> yeah. i was like well you worked really hard saved up a really long time and lots of people family has helped you get here and you know you need to just shut up and you know uh, man up and do it <laughs> man up is wrong word woman up and do it yeah. and so i kind of yeah i kind of i kind of powered through and then the fifth week uh, the teacher whose class i was t- one of the teachers whose class i was taking regularly he noticed me in class and then he agreed to be my mentor mm. and it felt good like you know i was like okay you know what you do have something it's not like you don't mm. um but i just had to very clearly not let myself get carried away with the whole oh yes you know people are noticing you and that means mm. i had to be like you are here to learn you are here to learn and it helped that a lot of the teachers even at bbc were constantly about look we know a lot of people get discovered here but it's not about that you don't come into my class and try to show off you come into my class to learn and it is mm. it's a very different environment there like you know you have 70 people in a class and everybody is like mm. hustling and pushing to yeah, show yeah. and it was it was it was a very it was a very defining moment for me and i had to really i had to really take a decision about what i wanted to do with my dance mm. so yeah those moments are there even now in the last couple of years there were there was um, a time when i was just like i don't last february one of the productions that Uh, i was working on i was just so st- our studio was barely a year old and i was so stressed about you know the economics of it money and like and i just completely lost focus on the dance and i was like mm-hmm. it took me a two months to sit and think about it and be like okay what am i doing mm-hmm. this is not what i want to be doing this is why you <laughs> left the previous company you want to be focusing on the kind of movement that you're creating and what you're going to teach and you don't want to be sitting and thinking about i mean while everybody does do that you don't want to be that's that's not why you set out to do this so i feel like those moments are very uh, integral because mm-hmm. they kind of give you um like an access point to stop you know mm-hmm. force you to stop and yeah. do it and you know realign yourself and those are all very important even though those are all like very cliche words that you know these coaching gurus and life coaches use they are very important there's a reason why people constantly talk about um, you know real realigning and uh, you know re- reevaluating and recalibrating mm. and it's <laughs> absolutely important cuz yeah you're not the same person you were yesterday you're not the same person you were a month ago and so that's the same thing with dance it's not the same as it was yesterday it in relation to your body is not the same as it was last month so mm-hmm. those moments while i hate them i'm never <laughs> going to like them yeah. and i know as i get older there's going to be more of them but <laughs> at a point where i can say okay hey this means the universe is trying to tell me something dance mm-hmm. is trying to tell me something my mm-hmm. body is trying to tell me something stop mm-hmm. it's like a very good like a checking point you know it stops you right there and then mm-hmm. you're like okay what do i need to do now differently yeah i hate them and it 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 is very and I, i'm not saying this as a oh all artists are you know tortured souls or anything like that but it can be very detrimental to your mental health and you have to really really 
be accepting of what it's doing to you in your head and accepting of needing to ask for help, accepting of saying, okay, hey, you know what, I need to heal myself at this point or this is why I always tell my dancers this. You can bullshit the world around you, but you can't bullshit yourself. At some mm-hmm. point, the truth's going to come up there, you know. <laughs> sorry about my language, but... No, you know, no. Sorry. You may have to bleep those words out. No, no, no. You know, it, it, to put it in a better way, you can lie to the entire world, but you can't lie to yourself. At some point, the truth's definitely going to face you. So, yeah. But... But I don't like those moments at all. No, no, no. Absolutely hate them. But like I said, integral part of life and yeah, and dance itself or any kind of art form. Absolutely, and they're very. And it's it's like that that in the moment, as you said, they're really shit. They're really like blinding and can be really uncomfortable and overwhelming. Absolutely. Sorry yeah. About- yeah, but I, I like I said, I and for me, dance life analogy is a huge thing. Like, uh, even in the the column that I'm writing right now for a friend's website, it's every every article is has been about dance and life analogy and how the two connect interconnect for me. Mm-hmm. And and it has to do. I mean, even if you take the word dance away from it, it has to do with movement, right? Mm-hmm. Everything is constantly moving. Even in stillness, there's movement. Mm-hmm. In movement, there's stillness, and it's like doing a piece on stage and you know you stopping at a moment thinking and then going into something else mm-hmm. it's as simple as that it's yeah. really as simplistic as that exactly and particularly with my university that I attend is the discussion around uh, gender equality and representation in dance and it's really come to the forefront about who's getting seen on stage the kind of bodies we're seeing on stage who's getting funding and who are the directors of the companies and they're often the same kinds of people that we're seeing they're often male they're often white they're often coming from very very privileged moneyed backgrounds and so it's become really integral to the way I relate to dance and to the way and who I'm seeing in my kind of personal sector of dance and I'm looking around and going it's the same people making work and the same people getting funding and so I was just wondering how do you, what's that like for you personally and how do you relate to that in a personal way but also in a global context of that sorry that was a very long-winded question but that kind no, of that's fine. I mean, it, but it's a very important one because we're talking so much about um, gender as such so even eight years ago when I started high kicks there was a very clear reason because in my 12 years with the commercial company, I had seen 12 different groups of girls come and go, right? Especially because in a city like Chennai, where it's still a conservative city, it's still, um, people are still very orthodox um, about their beliefs and what they think, you know, women can, cannot do. Mm. It's changing for sure. I'm not saying no. It's just that it's, oh, it's really slow. And it's really like it's a, it's like this pushing through molasses kind of a battle. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But so invariably they would come in the, when they were studying first year of college as a part-time thing, you know, oh, hey, I get to perform with this company and it's freestyle, it's commercial work, it's easy, it's Bollywood dance and it's whatever, right? Uh, and then, you know, three years they do and then, okay, I'm getting into a job or I'm getting married or whatever and this was a huge thing then right parents mm-hmm. would be like oh beyond this age if she keeps dancing we're not going to find a good 
like alliance marriage alliance or mm. a good marriage because arranged marriages are still thing right so, mm. so and it used to frustrate me and i was like i i also knew that i was coming from a place of privilege because of the fact that my family was so i came from a fairly chill background and my mom is yeah whatever you want do whatever mm. makes you happy mm. kind of a person and she's never pushed us into anything and we do come from a background where everybody is like phd's in biochemistry and lawyers and bankers and engineers and doctors mm-hmm. and both my sister and i are one of the black sheep but we are we we kick started it for our generation of people in our family and mm-hmm. now everybody below us and no my first cousins and my second cousins are all literally a decade younger than me the generation younger so mm-hmm. they're able to follow and they're able to put their foot down and say hey you know what don't want to do this i want to pursue music or i want to mm. do archaeology or i want to you know they're able yeah. to do that. um in that respect i think i think i can safely say i'm one of the first few people in my city women to be a full time professional dancer choreographer wow there's a lot more opportunity now because we are also working on creating that ecosystem uh on creating a fixed income and viable lifestyles through dance mm. but if you look at this classical and then there's this commercial sector and then there's this like weird middle ground where we are where we we kind of it's very hard because we are not the pardon my french but we are not the pretentious um uh, kind of a there are some people who are in fall in that bracket of creating contemporary modern work that for me personally i think is pretentious simply because it's very restrictive it's very elitist it's very um mm. it's very you're not meant to understand it unless you're supremely intelligent kind of a thing um why should we spoon feed the audience i'm like hey they've never seen this kind of work you need to start mm. from a perspective of they will not understand anything and then build up to a point where we've come to a point where people who've been seeing our shows regularly over the last 8 years say hey you know what that was abstract but i was able to perceive something from it mm. because simply because i've been coming for your shows and i've been seeing the difference and every time we give them a little less information you know mm-hmm. and it's something that i learned about and i researched in terms of in terms of building an audience mm. but and we are creating a lot of um so one of the pieces that i had done last year here was called her story part of the her story movement um where mm. i had a friend who uh, i mean who runs an ngo and does this kind of work in fact we're developing that into a full fledged production this year um mm. where we featured women in history whose stories have been mm. erased right mm. um whether it's a nora baker or it's a Uh, Sadako Sasaki who made paper cranes during the Hiroshima Nagasaki bombings and mm-hmm. there are many young women and uh, people who have been pioneers who women's stories have generally just been erased from history right because i always say history is the perspective of a few men who mm. choose actively what they want to tell the world so mm. we really don't know actually what went on in the minds of people during the second world war mm-hmm. we don't know a large scale perspective we only know we can know one side or the other side and i always say there's three sides right mm. my side your side and the truth right <laughs> it's always like yeah. that so um there is a lot of it's changed because i have 
and one of the things we did this this year also because earlier it was a question of the gender binary it was oh women are not getting that many opportunities there is no platform for them there is no safe spaces for them there mm. is a genuine worry because invariably you know the parents are worried that oh they're going to go into a mixed company and then these boys are going to hit on the girls and then there's going to be all of this mm. stuff that's going to happen and we don't want that and this kind of very traditional outlook that those kind of things worries were there right mm. how are we going to find them a good alliance if they're going to be dancing in public in front of people you know commercial work and all that so as we started building our company and the kind of work we were doing it started getting easier definitely mm. it's we come to a point where we do have girls from really orthodox backgrounds whose parents come and watch a show about sexuality about gender and are able to say hey that was good um mm-hmm. we had somebody whose parents watched we did uh, in fact that's the workshop that i'm bringing uh, mm-hmm. for the festival uh, we did the show called skin last year which is about race religion gender and sexuality on the playground and how children mm-hmm. perceive it and how they are force fed the constructs and then the differentiation happens right mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. genocide begins with bullying mm-hmm. bullying is the is like the micro of the macro which is genocide um mm. it starts with othering right with other people by saying you're different from me mm. this year when we realized that there was i mean i've also been doing my research in terms of the whole uh, trying to remove the whole binary construct of gender and the fact that people can be fluid or non binary or you know and it for me it struck such a personal chord because when i was growing up um i was labeled a tomboy i hate that word mm it's so much oh like yeah cuz um i'm almost a single parent i have really thick hair and i was always rolling around in the mud so she said let's and i had like a close crop chopped everything off and she said you grow your hair and you can maintain it on your own my grandmother <laughs> was so pissed cuz she was like no how can you do this she has to grow her hair and all of that she was a tradition my mom said you know what i don't have somebody to help me maintain her hair she's yeah. so active she's sp- doing sports she's dancing she's you know at least i was very active in school cultural activities and you know dramatics and dance and all of that so and i was always climbing trees my knees are a mess of scars because uh, <laughs> i was always playing on the street and i remember when i hit like 7th grade 8th grade around puberty I was always playing with the local boys downstairs I was playing street football and we have this game called kabaddi that I we used to play I was climbing trees I was always in these really toned raggedy shorts and t-shirts with short hair and you know I was this mm. dirty kid right and I was happy being that right that was always yeah. out of fun and there was a lot of um, oh she's such a tomboy and of course you know you had the whole i also had a separate section of uh, being bullied in school for skin color um mm. would be surprised at the amount of uh, skin discrimination that happens in this country mm. even though we're all brown um mm. but there are varying shades right so and i am definitely on the darker side and come hot season which is like 90% of the year i'm always out in the sun i'm always running i was always playing and mm. I, it was so confusing for me because i also love things like crafts I loved makeup. Loved it. Mm. I liked dressing up. I liked what you would call traditional feminist uh, fem- feminine things of like sewing and doing things with my hands, making beads and crafts. But mm. I would also be like out. So it was 
it was really confusing like somebody once walked in and saw me we had this old sewing machine at home and i was i used to alter all my pants and like clothes myself and i i used to make like little clothes for my i never had barbies i never played with them but i loved making little clothes for my friends barbies mm. so i was mm. sitting in that and then this family friend walks in and he's like wow you're like this conflicting of many things you're such a tomboy but you also like all these and i was just like yeah. why can't i be both like yeah so when this whole thing this movement is so massive right now here mm. came up and i was like oh my god this is great because this is what kids need to be told that you can yeah really be both if you want to and you can do mm-hmm. both if you want to and people always uh, like you know either somebody would come and tell me oh no your masculine energies are too much or uh, mm. i've had guys tell me oh you're too intimidating you're such an ice princess like nobody i've had an ex boyfriend tell me like you know you don't need anybody <laughs> like okay like and no it 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 happens like especially i i don't know how it is in australia but i do know that indian men can be very sensitive about um being needed being the strong man mm. needs to do things for women and so because of these things and it's still a very dicey battle here because mm. 90% of the people you speak to it's that 1% of like really privileged urban mm. people who have the opportunity to read up about these things and know these mm. things uh, i do i mean i do know i have transgender friends in fact this year for the first time we removed we were called high kicks all girls dance ensemble we removed the all girls from our logo wow and, yeah we've opened it to non binary gender fluid uh, trans community as well and we had a transgender woman audition for us this year um to do the first year course and join the company and she's in fact she's doing her transition only later this year so she said i want to be physically fit so we've offered her a spot which she's taking up next year so next. and for me that was a very very clear thing of i want to remove that Uh, saying because if somebody feels like a girl or even if it is a boy who doesn't feel safe space in a regular male yeah 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 dance environment feel free to come work with us like you know even the school as such the the institute as such which is uh, the performing arts institute that i run we have one male student who comes for the contemporary classes one male student yeah. so i mean and he feels comfortable enough to be with us he was a one male performer in about 40 female performers when we did our school showcase in april and he was co- perfectly comfortable with it so mm. and that's my point if if you don't feel safe in a male and they are very male dominated there see there are we share space with another dance company and there are young boys there whom i constantly try to talk about in terms of how they are using language how they are using uh-huh. uh, you know a like the guy who's partnering with me we were trying to launch a set of martial arts and fitness classes and he said mm. can i say fat to fit and i said i'm like no you no. can't use the word fat cuz ne- not fat is not necessarily unhealthy and i've been struggling after having been a normal sized person for most of my life i developed a thyroid issue like about 5 6 years ago and i've been struggling with weight issues yeah. everybody comes up to me and asks me things like Oh, but you you know you're on your feet for 6 hours a day and you know how come you still you know have so much weight and i'm like and people here have no filters especially when it comes to yeah. things like yeah they have zero filters here yeah. especially in india they have zero filters so mm. somebody who has 
who has no idea who I am, who see me ten years ago, you know, comes up to me and he looks, and his wife standing right next to him. He looks yeah. me up and down and says, "Boy, you've put on a lot of weight." And I'm like, "It's none of your business. Your yeah. wife standing right next to you. Don't look up and down at another woman's body. Like you know, it's 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 offensive." But they don't realize that they're doing something wrong. And even here, especially with uh, with how boys and girls are raised. you know mm-hmm. the kind of things that they're allowed to do and not allowed to do like i've had an uncle who's when we were in 8th grade uh, told my sister not to sit with legs on both sides of a scooter oh she was sitting pillion he said no women have to sit with their legs together mm-hmm. and of course my sister and i laughed in his face like that <laughs> my, mom, my mom also laughed in his face but it is that bad sometimes and mm-hmm. even in 2019 it can be that bad there are i have seen people who so even with the in terms of representation you see women it's just mm-hmm. how are they being represented yeah you absolutely. know which is one of the reasons why i've had questions guys have been like oh you are uh, you know you're you're discriminating against men who want to learn from you i'm like no my school is open my school yeah. is open and now my company is also open to anybody who doesn't feel safe uh, in a in a space that's male dominated don't mm-hmm. come the one of the main reasons why i didn't want to have the typical cis het male in my company was because a lot of the young boys here look at it as an opportunity to hit on girls or to mm-hmm. find girlfriends and i'm like no it's bad not why what we're doing here and yeah. you know so it can be it's it's a very dicey battle it's a very um it's a very uh, complicated battle it's a it's first we have to let them get them to understand what that what is it that they are doing wrong in terms of oppression then we have to get them to understand that there is no binary let's not look at the binary um and that was one of the poems that we had in skim um it's 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 a part of the workshop that i'm bringing which is about what they tell a boy to do and what they tell a good girl to do and yes taking the opposite of that and saying that it's not necessary that just because i'm a boy i have to starting with the whole color coding thing right blue blue mm-hmm. and pink mm-hmm. and uh, yeah so um we do have a lot of female identifying classical dancers here but i don't know much too much about the classical dance circuit and industry but from what i've heard yeah there is a lot of and when the whole me too movement hit there was mm-hmm. a there was a lot of stuff that came out almost i think there was somebody who set up an internal thing for theater and classical dance and performing arts here and some 128 complaint cases came out and these are all like older men supposed to be mentors and i don't know i mean i'm unfortunately i i, I wish i wasn't but unfortunately i'm as hetero as you can get and i'm at this point where i'm just I'm really starting to hate men. <laughs> like no. Like shut up. Don't talk. Don't open your mouth. <laughs> I'm, I'm a raging fourth wave feminist. So yeah, I think I'm at this point where I I really I think it's collective rage also. It's years and you know it's inter, it's also intergenerational trauma that all of us are carrying and the whole collective rage is kind of coming out now so that's one aspect of it and then seeing the fact that there shouldn't be any gender binaries is the other aspect of it yeah. and then 
marrying the two together and then yes. removing the concept of gender or removing the concept of stereotyping what gender is and who is supposed to it's completely man made construct right so the science has proved it so mm-hmm. just uh, yeah it's it's very dicey it's a, it's a hard battle it's very dicey and yeah i do have i've had people like educated urban young men who claim to be all for equality who mm. stand next to me and go bah, you're such a feminist stop with the uh, you know ranting and raging and i'm like well you can't help it it's rage you just got to shut up and listen now mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah so i would even with with the whole uh, sizing thing and all of that my we have always prided ourselves on being inclusive and whoever is large size i always ask them like you know it's up to you you tell me what you're comfortable wearing what you want to wear how you, and we always formulate our costumes around that and um that's something i just i don't see because we've never had any issues with it i have really tiny people who also go through their share of you know i do have i have a cup and i'm seeing the kind of horrible negative impact it can have on young women i have a 20 year old who has severe body dysmorphia and bulimia cuz you know it's family they're like there's a 1 inch of fat and they're like oh my god you've become so fat and she's like and then all of their logic comes back to the same thing how are you going to find a boy who likes you how are you going to get married and i'm like let's stop with those questions and kind of so she's severely body dysmorphic because she looks at herself in the mirror and she says oh my thighs are so fat oh my arms have gotten so fat i need to stop eating and so and it's something that we are collectively as a group trying to help her through um trying to get her to see somebody to who will help mm-hmm. her a bit and food guilt is a big problem here yeah massive problem so yeah it's um yeah i'd like to i love when i can see like more diversity on stage in mm-hmm. terms of creating work in terms of who's being given a platform mm-hmm. to say what they need to say uh, without their narratives being snatched from them which is why i'm also very careful because even though maybe i'm like a traditionally a woman i also do come from a slightly more entitled or privileged background and i'm very careful about who st- story i am narrating um yeah, because yeah, I, don't, yeah. i don't want to steal the narrative from somebody who deserves to have that platform so. mm-hmm. we then spoke about the importance of deconstructing and challenging the gender binary and the significance of having gender inclusive bathrooms we also spoke of the process of decolonization that's happening here massive yeah. decolonization is happening so there's yeah. this, there's all this rage and there's all this um unchecked feelings that people are really trying to deal with yeah. and the whole with the whole you know uh, gender inclusive bathrooms that's a, we have a whole different other kind of problem here with that because um there is a sense of um, the men here can be very lecherous and um there is a sense of discomfort when you have to put like typically cis het males also using the same bathroom because the women will immediately go up in arms about how oh my god like you know we have no privacy and this mm. because men will just stand there and stare at you and so yeah it's tricky there are all of these because here especially in india we still have that they need to be taught how to kind of look at women and it's i hardly think it's a sexual thing it's a complete 
it's a power oppression thing like it's mm. they've been taught from childhood that women are beneath them or anybody who's not cis hetero is you know beneath them they're not mm. they are the ones who have to and it has nothing to do with somebody telling them you can be emotional you can you know you're allowed to cry oh, yes all of those things are important mm. but they also mm. need they also need to be taught to look at to be taught that they are no better than anybody else that they mm. are same plane to not look beneath or look down at anybody else we have a lot mm. of, for us it's very intersectional because of the caste politics involved there's there's uh, economic politics involved there's mm. there's a lot of classism casteism ableism there's yeah. a lot of <laughs> so it's a really hard like it's it's got to start from a complete micro level people have these huge amounts of internal biases that that it take it's it's a process and it can be a really tricky process as you said about these people wanting to who are who do identify as cisgendered and then there are people who are and so yeah finding that kind of the way to marry it all as you said and and trying to yeah manage it it's it's tricky and it's a very unknown process but i think we we all have to we we commit to that process of making everyone as you said yeah. feel comfortable and to to be able to coexist with one another and rather than this kind of us versus them it's tricky yeah and i think i think that's where like for me that's one of the places where dance really comes in especially in the last two years um how can you make your art what you're creating more meaningful how can you say something how can you build a dialogue how can you initiate a conversation mm-hmm. how can you even affect and i've seen it i've physically seen it happen like you know with people who come one of the dancers uh, families who came uh, for skin uh, she told me later that when we were doing a feedback session after the show she said that you know we went for dinner after the show and i actually had to explain to my parents what the entire lgbtqi spectrum was they wanted to do each and every individual Wow. you know actually stood for and she said while they have not been really um, they're not some orthodox conservative parents they we would have never been able to sit at a dinner table and have a conversation about the spectrum if it hadn't mm. been for the show and she said from she said for her that was such a massive growth point like you know she's like yeah. i never thought i could sit with my parents and talk about you know being a lesbian or being gay or being uh, uh gender fluid or uh, what is a trans woman what is a trans man and you know they actually educated their parents completely on that and i that's something i've done with my mom as well in the last two years wow. and and that's where it starts right yeah that's literally where it starts so i think that for me that's where i marry it i it's very important that we use the form art form whatever it is that you do to kind of create this space where everybody can talk about it everybody can have healthy debates and discussions about it mm-hmm. and really not um go into the, that whole show is about differences and i mean i'm actually really excited to bring that basic workshop bringing one small portion of the repertoire that can be created by the participants themselves yeah but i'm doing one of the make workshops so i'm actually quite excited to see how it translates i feel like maybe i'll bring the gender one 
specifically it depends on how the class is divided <laughs> let's see we then spoke about the importance of initiating dialogue around gender and representation and the way that dance can initiate change and the power of being with other people and moving with other bodies I think that sometimes when you're doing art form especially something which is as tactile as dance right yeah there's a sense of grounding there's a sense of constantly being aware of all your senses right you're seeing things you're listening you're um, um you're breathing so you're constantly in touch with your breath and you're feeling the ground beneath you you're you're feeling other people and i think that it it really has the potential to build so much of the sensitivity like it has yeah. the potential to really build that okay we don't have i'm different you're different but like in that difference we can kind of come together and build something you know yeah. or we can choose to stay on our paths but be peaceful with one another and not necessarily yeah. have to go into conflict or if we have a conflict we can really choose to um dance around it and move around it and figure out a way to resolve that conflict without having to you know escalate it into something that's violent mm. i think that's uh, i really like how we can use those analogies in dance and really it's for me it's it's a very powerful visual medium and like for me one of the stand points was when we uh, uh, the previous the show previous to skin was which was called dwende the piece from that which was what we were supposed to perform if the company was coming but unfortunately they're not because of lack of funding <laughs> um mm. um was called dipesmo which is about being displaced as uh, a refugee or as an immigrant and uh, and the second piece was called white noise which is about mental illness caused by social media um uh, mind versus monkey mind and the third piece was her story which i told you about so it was a triple bill performance and when we took it to another city recently um last august i think we had somebody in the audience who had uh, almost no vision he had 5% vision he wow. could only see blurs and colors moving around and he had somebody next to him translating we had a lot of voiceovers recorded and the music was playing of course but he mm-hmm. also had somebody explaining what was happening on stage mm-hmm. and the best feedback i could get from him after the show was he said uh, uh, he's like madam I, i can't see i have 5% vision but i felt we always do a q and a after the performance and he said i felt like I didn't need this person to explain anything to me. I understood everything that was going on on stage and I could I could imagine it in my head and I could I really enjoyed the show and imagine somebody with a with 5% vision looking at a visual medium and telling you that they enjoyed your show because they understood everything. For me that was like such a huge uh, like benchmark of whatever it is that I'm trying to do. So yeah. This means that okay it means that this has the power to really affect change you know you have to do more with it use it uh, see how you can really um, one of the ideas we explored was creating a show based only on sound wow yeah and show based only on sound for people like him specifically for people who are visually impaired and but want to watch a dance performance mm. and how do they watch they watch with their ears so it's yeah. such a it was such a beautiful moment of culmination of everything that i was trying to do so i yeah i think it has so much power and i think that people who have it should really really be responsible with it be yeah. like really uh, careful what they do with it yeah yeah absolutely oh super 
fast, I suppose, in in the way it, it it acts in both its form on stage. It's this constant presentation and you're performing and you're constantly having to have this a sense of a particular self and it can be a very fast whirlwind environment. How do you, I suppose, reconnect with yourself and stay grounded and finding your sense of yourself within what we do as, as it can be a lot to deal with. And I know that. Yeah. So it can, it can be, especially uh, when you're going towards a production and when you're, if you're somebody like me, who's like, you know, all in all, I got to do everything yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. And um, we don't really have separate light technical managers and stage yeah, managers. Yeah. Doesn't work. I got to do everything. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. so um, it can, you're right. It can get really overwhelming. And I, and to be very honest, it's only in the last couple of years that I've really taught myself how to, uh, one is grounding exercises, of course. Two is um, I journal a lot. I write a lot. Um uh, I tune out sometimes. I think I feel like sometimes I just be like, you know what? I'm gonna forget everything about this and just watch some mindless television. Or, yes. You know. Yeah. yeah. I, I just really tune out. Um, or I try to spend time with myself. Um, meditating is something I've been doing very recently because what happened was for me, I find it very difficult to sit still in one place. My mind doesn't stop. It's constantly turning. Um, and one of the things and. I don't do allopathy. I follow homeopathy and Ayurveda and like a little, my sister is a yoga therapist as well. So uh, she puts together a program for me that I follow. And my dog kept saying, you know what? You don't have to focus on sitting down and meditating like other people. Uh, you have to find where your meditation is. And I realized that for me, one, I go into a trance-like state when I'm just dancing. Like I'm not creating, I'm not focusing on choreography i'm not teaching just put on some music and just move for me i kind of forget about who's around that is one form of meditation for me that really helps me both connect and disconnect at the same time uh i also cook a lot yes let me, let's me just completely tune out my brains are blank uh, i read these are all the things that i do i kind of make sure that i have one of the things and it, it may feel a little weird since like you're young and you know, you've been dancing and this is what you're getting into. Um, <laughs> that sometimes you can't let it be such a large part of who you are. I, I made that mistake for many years. I said, I am nobody if I'm, if I don't have dance and it still holds true. It is a very large chunk of who I am or what my identity is, but I can't let it become my identity. I can't let it be me. I don't know if you understand. Yes. It, it took me a while to understand this. And I was like, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, you know, this is me. <laughs> and yeah. it took me a long time to say, you know what? And this is something I talk about. You have a passion and you have a purpose. And you just have to find a way to marry the two. Um, I've realized that my purpose is not dance. My, my passion is dance. That's my method. That's what I use to fulfill my purpose, which is to effect a particular change, to effect, uh, to cause people to think differently or to bring about a change in people's lives. Whether it's just through a simple, yeah, let's have fun dance class or let's really think about this issue and come up with something. And and this is something I talk about, I think, in, in, a, in another talk that I did, which was not a TED talk. It was something called a Josh talk. 
um, yes. software recorded thing that's there, um, which is about like really finding the way, finding a way to marry the two. And when that clicked in my head, and I was like, okay, now you know that this is just your passion, this is your purpose, and you're using your passion to fulfill your purpose. You know, and you don't need. These are not things that make uh, uh, that. These are not the things. These are not who you are. These are just part of the many things that make who you are. Yeah, it's a, it's 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 just semantics, but <laughs> you yeah. just have to keep telling yourself that and affirm it, so that if you are at a point where you know one day you don't have the passion for this, but the passion shifts to something else, and you have to. It's a very hard place of acceptance, but you have to be ready to accept it. I have to always be aware of the fact that it's like a relationship. Hey, maybe I'll fall out of love with it one day. Maybe I'll fall in love with something else. Yeah. Maybe then I will use that to fulfill my purpose. My purpose doesn't change. My mm. purpose doesn't change, but passion can. And it's um, it can be a very hard pill to swallow. But as long as I have it for this, as long as I'm able to marry all the different things, as long as I'm able to find my balance with this, I'm going to keep doing this. I'm mm. not going to stop. And as long as I have that faith, I have the belief that I won't lose my passion for this. You know, it's like one cute little circle, and I keep telling myself, and um, yeah, then it becomes easy to ground yourself. You have to have separation. If you're not able to separate yourself and find that boundary, it becomes very difficult. And it it was very hard for me to follow, like this, you know, swallow this pill and say, be like, yeah, it is, it is a part of who I am, but it is not me. You know, mm. you can't be that selfish because uh, sometimes that letting it be that selfish can mm. it can make you very jaded. It can make you very yeah. cynical. It can make you hate it. And I yes. just I had like right before I went to New York, I was hating dance. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm. I actually went through that patch, and then it took me that separation, that identifying of it's not who you are. It's just a part of you it's one aspect mm. and i agree of course, of course all the very real practical other grounding things so you don't get completely yeah. overwhelmed but all of the yes i agree and i suppose right now what is something that you're excited for about dance whether the the, the few yeah what's something you're excited about in dance right now i would have to say actually the festival Literally really? like month. Or, yeah, I'm Yay! so excited because at least I'm getting to travel. I'm so excited about uh, you know coming there to like teach and interact yeah. new dancers. Like I'm going to see a completely whole bunch of new dancers, right? And I'm actually that's one of the big things that I'm really excited for. I would have to say two things. That's one. The second thing, um, maybe not so much. To do with dance, but like I told you, one of the things for me has been constantly about affecting change in the world using dance. Yes. So to yes. that, uh, to that extent, I'm applying for this um, course at Coventry um, mm -hmm. called Global Diversity, and it's not something where you have to go there. You only go there for like 15 days, and then you come back and you implement the project here. And you can be in any stream. You can be a scientist. You can be a, a business person. You can be an artist. And but effectively, I want to use arts for global change right that's that's where i'm heading towards so i'm actually i'm applying and sending in my application hopefully we'll get selected and 
that comes with the Commonwealth scholarship. So it's it's all fully paid for. Wow. Uh, yes. It runs for two years, except that you know you keep going back and forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can really affect some meaningful change with that. Wow. So um, yeah, these are the two things, and and we are working on the her story production, but with women from Chennai who've been erased from the history of the city. Um, so there is this one woman who's been curating and collecting or and researching and all of the stories. She's agreed to meet me next week. So I'm going to be sitting and yeah, I'm trying to create like a dance on film documentary about this. So yeah, many things. Lots of things. The, the, I suppose like formal thing of the interview. Um, Thank you so very much. It's been... Thank you. I had fun talking to you. Thank <laughs> you for allowing me the space to ramble on. No, it's brilliant. Like, I thank you so much for bringing, like, this generosity. And, like, as a teacher and someone as a, like, who... One thing I was thinking about when I was talking about these questions is the relevance of, of the teachers that I've had who are hugely monumental in my life. And, like, they expand beyond as as we've said you know beyond just the dance and the physical practice and so it's been such a pleasure to kind of hear the way you talk and care about dance and yourself and your students and the way you've you're you're making these huge amazing changes and it's really been such a pleasure so thank you so very much I really appreciate it thank you for all your nice words <laughs> no it's it's yeah, it's been very very great so thank you so much thanks for listening to this episode i am proshka voile one of the youth ambassadors i also interviewed katie mccarthy you can find out more about the aydf online episode notes for this episode are at delvingintodance.com you can also find both delving into dance and odds dance victoria on twitter and facebook you can subscribe for more podcast episodes on itunes spotify Google Play, and many other podcast platforms. You can find many podcast episodes on the archive. Some of my favourites include Joe Lloyd, Amrita Heppy, Daniel Jaber, and Harper Waiters. Thank you so much for listening, and keep dancing.